Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. I don't know the first thing about investing my money, and it is all so overwhelming, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I love that Acorns makes it so easy and how you don't need a lot of money to get started. So head to acorns.com creepers or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com creepers. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC, Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Do not ever give Scientology your mailing address because they will never give up. They will send you they will send you things forever and ever. Then um, and the American Red Cross. <laughs> they have found me every time I've been. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogab, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. <laughs> okay, this week I'm going to tell you about one of my obsessions. Oh! <laughs> the Church of Scientology. Oh, I knew this was going to come up eventually. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Just so people know, I have no idea what the topic is going to be until literally we start recording. So. Yeah, it's all fresh. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, 
pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Oh, so, I'm really excited. I know 0.0% about this. 0.0. Excellent. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm really sorry for you for that. <laughs> Scientology is a monster of a subject and I could literally talk about it for days, but since we only have about an hour, I figured I'd break it up into a couple of different episodes. So this is going to be part one and part two is going to drop at the same time. So you'll be able to listen to part two right after this. So Mogab, okay, you know 0.0, but you've at least heard of Scientology. Yes. Yes. And I know... There have been a few times at our favorite spot that we (laughs) frequent where we've had a few glasses of sangria and have somehow stumbled upon this topic. So I feel like you've told me some about it. Okay. You and every single other person in my life is probably (laughs) getting sick of me talking about it because my obsession, it can probably be traced back to like middle school when me and my dad were driving around Austin and we were driving on the drag, which is the street that's like right across from the UT campus. And I saw a, a church of Scientology, but I said, Oh, look, dad, a, a church. That's the, the church of Scientology. What's that? And he looked at me with like concern and he's like, never go in there. <laughs> And I was like, ooh, why? (laughs) So you immediately are like looking to see when their next service is to go. Like any child would do and their parents like, don't go in there. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, oh, why? I need to know what it is. And so then when I was a senior in high school, I had this super cushy internship at NASA. And in the summer, my like my hours doubled, but my job duties didn't. So I had a lot of free time on my hands. And that is when I found Xenu.net which I spent hours and hours on. I'm pretty sure it was the first anti-Scientology website out there. And it's still active, by the way. Uh, so wait, was, were you still like from high school to back when you saw this church? You, it was just in your head to like look it up and... I don't remember how. I remember I had a friend that worked in another office there and we would email back and forth about it like all day. <laughs> But I don't remember how I got back onto it. But yeah, I think it had something to do with that moment with my dad where I was like, oh yeah, I've heard of Scientology. My dad said never go in there. (laughs) So for this episode, The Unbreakable Miss Lovely by Tony Ortega was a big source of information as well as Jeffrey Augustine's podcast, Surviving Scientology, and anything Leah Remini and Mike Rinder have ever done. I love them. They had a show on A&E called Scientology in the Aftermath. They have a podcast right now called Fair Game. And for part one, I really wanted to dive deep into their policy of fair game. This is a policy in which they give themselves carte blanche to do whatever they want to whoever they want in the name of protecting Scientology against enemies of the church. Who are the they? Like, what are they called? Scientologists. Okay. Scientologists. All right, here we go. 
Scientology really began when a science fiction author by the name of L. Ron Hubbard decided the best way to make a million dollars would be to start your own religion. It's almost a direct quote. Mm. In 1950, he published his book, Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health, hoping to gain acceptance to the American psychiatric community, but they were having none of it. I've actually read some of Dianetics out of curiosity, because of course I have. And the main reason I didn't finish the book was because honestly, I found myself saying things like, oh, that makes sense. And, oh, I could see how that could really help me. No. And I I knew if I kept reading, I was going to find myself standing in a Scientology org asking for a free personality test, which is like how they get you in the door. And before I knew it, I'd be in debt up to my eyeballs. So... Uh, all I that don't to know say, how any of those things all tied together. <laughs> a personality test, debt, religion, and do you, I guess. <laughs> so at the orgs, you'll see if you walk by them, I saw them all over when I was in LA. They'll have these signs outside that'll say, come in for a free personality test. And so they'll give you this test and then they'll tell you all the things that are wrong with you. And then they'll tell you how they can fix all those things that are wrong with you to try to get you in. And then they charge you boatloads and we'll get into the money stuff, but. Is the org what they call the church? The orgs are what they call like their buildings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like their different locations. Which Um, I think they just built one when I was in Columbus on my way to work. When I was visiting a week ago, I think they put one right on like the main street. Probably. And it was like this huge glass building. Probably. And we'll get into why too. Like how they have so many. Yeah. So I can definitely see the allure of it, at least at first, especially when we realize that pretty much everyone who's in Scientology now either joined back before the internet could tell you what a crock it is, or they were born into it. Because without the ability to Google Scientology and see all of the horror stories, it's really not a difficult sell. Hubbard claimed to have done all of these extensive studies in all these different countries and had figured out the meaning of life, basically. But really, he wrote the book in about three months. No studies were done. He made it all up. In fact- Three months? That's faster than I do a lot of things. No kidding. And well, that might be because a lot of the ideas that he wrote about in in Dianetics- he'd previously written about in his old science fiction novels. So his stories. So he just took like fiction and made it Mm -hmm. reality? I mean, he made it fiction and turned it into this theory that he wanted, he wanted it to be a new psychology. And then when the American medical or when the American psychiatric association was like, no, this is all it's junk. He was like, oh, instead, psychologists are evil, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a religion instead. So mm, That is junk. There's a lot that goes into Scientology, but I'm just going to give you the basics. So the basic premise of Dianetics is that you have two sides to your mind. You have the analytic side where everything is flawless, perfect, a machine, and then you have your reactive mind, which is a big old mess, and it's the source of all your problems from medical issues to mental illnesses to issues with your job or relationships or addictions. This is because your reactive mind is full of memories of traumas going all the way back to the womb or even to past lives. And Hubbard called these memories engrams. And if you can discover these traumas and observe exactly what happened, the power of that incident to influence you today is supposed to be removed. 
And I have a degree in counseling. And apart from like the past life stuff, you'll find similar theories in psychology. However, with Scientology, the only way to rid yourself of these engrams is to pay for their courses and auditing, which is Scientology's version of therapy, where copious notes are recorded as you spill all your deepest and darkest secrets. Once you rid yourself of these engrams and your reactive mind, you achieve the state of clear. And they tell people that if you become clear, your eyesight will improve, you'll have perfect memory, you'll never get sick, your IQ will be raised, and on and on. Oh my God, sign me up. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, please. Exactly. In fact, Hubbard claimed to be this war hero, blinded by the sun and his back broken during the war, and he claims that he healed himself with Dianetics. He was a pretty (laughs) convincing guy considering his biggest wounds were mild arthritis and conjunctivitis. Also- Please don't really sign me up. Please please don't send me any information on Scientology (laughs) since my name's on this. To achieve the state of clear, you work your way up what's called the bridge to total freedom. Once you reach a state of clear on the bridge, there are eight additional levels called the OT levels. That stands for operating Phaeton. And a Phaeton is basically your soul. Uh, And once you've cleared yourself, you're supposed to have these godlike abilities, like the ability to have full control over MEST which stands for matter, energy, space, and time. As far as I know, no Scientologist has actually achieved this, but they still think that they can. Oh. Anyway, to go up the bridge to total freedom, you have to take tons of courses, which cost about $600 a pop before you buy the books, which are more expensive than college textbooks. And they found a way to get people to buy the same books over and over again. They'll come out and say like, oh, we realized this semicolon shouldn't be there. And that changes the whole meaning of the book. So you need to buy them all over again. And then they'll buy the whole set. So people are spending thousands of dollars on these books alone. So you're not like finding them in your local half price books? Uh, (laughs) No, no, because you have to get the newest updated version. Because otherwise you might have that semicolon in there and it changes the whole meaning of every single book in that set. And then there's the auditing, their version of therapy. How much do you think therapy costs? Like normal therapy? I do know that it's like $100 with our insurance a week, like a visit, I think. Yes. It's about a hundred dollars a visit, right? For counseling, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on insurance. Scientology charges $800 an hour. Goodbye. (laughs) I don't have anything that interesting to tell anyone. (laughs) You need so many hours. If you make it all the way through OT8, which is the highest known level, you're looking at half a million dollars easy. And Kristen, could you imagine how long it would take me to unpack just even, you know, <laughs> what you know about me <laughs> on a Scientology, like pay scale? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they'll find stuff. I mean, if you don't have stuff, they'll find it. They call these payments donations. And on their website, they talk about how you can get a discount on these donations if you say train to become an auditor. But a discounted donation sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> like if yeah. you can get a discount, that's a price. That's what it costs. Right? right. It's not a donation. Yeah. <laughs> like, are these tax deductible? I've got a lot of follow-up. Questions. Oh my gosh. Just wait oh. on that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That'll come at the end. Cause no. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know about now. 
Now, not everyone in Scientology is rich. So they actually have people on staff that are experts in things like extending credit or taking second mortgages on your home just to bleed you dry of whatever scent you have left. They put tremendous pressure on Scientologists to give them even more money on top of the courses and the books and the auditing to the point where people that can are handing over quarter of a million, half a million dollar checks. Like they're really good at what they do. People are taking out second mortgages for this. Mm -hmm. There are two types of Scientologists. There are public parishioners, which are the people that are living in the normal world, which Scientology calls the wog world. I just watched Harry Potter. Now I'm getting confused. (laughs) They have normal jobs and they just practice Scientology. Then there are members of the Sea Org. And this is where Scientology really gets interesting. These are the people that really believe in Scientology. They sign a billion-year contract devoting themselves to the Sea Org because Scientology Scientology believes in reincarnation. So you're basically Mm -hmm. pledging your life and all of your lives hereafter to eat, sleep, breathe Scientology. They live on bases around the world and basically work to run Scientology 16 hours a day, seven days a week. They get paid 50 bucks a week before taxes. They do Uh, take taxes out of their check. (laughs) Okay. But those in the Sea Org can take courses and get auditing for free. As Are you saying as, C, like the letter C, or like the ocean? Like the ocean. C, S, E, A. Okay, so as long they can take courses and get auditing for free as long as they stay in the Sea Org. If they break their contract, they're given what they call a freeloader bill, and they have to pay Scientology back for any courses or auditing they used while in the Sea Org. Oh um, my goodness. And again, they're not donations if you get a bill. <laughs> yeah. This is um, like harder than trying to cancel my Massage Envy membership. Oh no, you can't leave. Like, yeah, no, you can't leave. <laughs> it's harder than quitting a gym. <laughs> no, Yeah. Scientology considers every word Hubbard ever spoke or wrote to be the scriptures of their religions. Dianetics is basically book one of their scripture, but there are hundreds of books, lectures, and several films that are all part of their scripture. Included in the scriptures are tons and tons of policies Scientologists are supposed to follow. One of those policies is the policy of fair game. Never heard of it. (laughs) I really haven't. Let me tell you. All about it. Okay. Hubbard established fair game early on to deal with so-called enemies of the church, which they call suppressive people or SPs. Basically anyone who was speaking out against Scientology or against them in any way. Those people who are labeled fair game are thought to be a threat to the church. And the policy states that they can be punished and harassed using any and all means possible. L. Ron Hubbard actually has written instructions for how to smear an enemy. It's like a step-by-step guide to ruining someone's life. This to, is illegal. It, yes. And here's the thing. They've given themselves permission to do it. Oh, good. Okay, well, yeah. glad they had that foresight. Right. So they're okay because they, they said that they can do it. To quote a memo written in 1967, Fair game may be deprived of property or injured by any means by any Scientologist without any discipline of the Scientologist, may be tricked, sued, or lied to, or destroyed. I must be fair game. You must be, because you've been sued, what, twice? Yes. (laughs) 
I think you're the only person I know that's been sued. And you, mm. didn't you have to go against uh, Jim Adler? The Texas hammer. Yeah. <laughs> the smart, tough lawyer. Tough Isn't he lawyer. the smart, tough lawyer? <laughs> He's got these that's ads it. in Houston. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh my gosh. But you won. You beat that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Under the policy of fair game, Scientology will do a complete investigation on the person. Have PIs tail them, dig up dirt, dig up anything. If they can't find anything, they'll make stuff up. They'll manufacture crimes and frame people for them. They'll destroy evidence. They'll edit transcripts to make it look like you said something you didn't say. They'll do illegal surveillance of you, bug you, blackmail you with things you said during auditing sessions of which they have copious notes. They'll use physical intimidation. This is the wildest shit I've ever heard. (laughs) Also from Scientology's red volume, which again, this is all part of Scientology's scripture, Hubbard wrote, the purpose of the lawsuit is to harass and discourage rather than win. The law can be used very easily to harass and enough harassment on somebody who is simply on the thin edge anyway will generally be sufficient to cause his professional decease. If possible, of course, ruin him utterly. This is, can be confirmed, yes. (laughs) It is, it does harass you. Yeah, yeah, I- I could not imagine. What was it like, like getting served paper? How did they serve you your papers? Oh, on the beautiful Texas State campus. Don't <laughs> worry. Texas State? Yeah, because <laughs> they were trying to go to my house and like give them to me. But I was obviously like, you know, my driver's license has my permanent address, my, you know, right. aunt's house, um, which is not at school, but I was away at school. And so they kept showing up at my aunt's house and they just, my aunt. And uncle would say like, oh, she's not here, obviously, but they aren't required to give them any other additional information. Right. And I guess they put it together. (laughs) And they just found you on campus or they came to your dorm or your apartment? Um, I was in class. No. So they like bought your schedule? Class. Yeah. I was pulled from class. Oh my God. I think I was living in Singapore when you went through that. So I never got like Mm -hmm. the whole story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, So... It's not a surprise that Scientology has a long track record of using frivolous and libel lawsuits to harass their opponents. Again, the aim is not to win, but to drag it on long enough that the person gives up after spending tons of money and so much time trying to fight it. And it sends a message to anyone else thinking of publishing anything about Scientology. That's really the whole- these people, sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. Are they, when you said like all the things that could be used against them and you rattled off that list, one of the things was their information from an audit. So does uh-huh. this mean they used to be a Scientologist and they tried to leave? Those are the people that. Yes. Okay. Yes. And we'll go into why they might want to in a second. So um, it's not just like it would be me and you, like they wouldn't just pick some random person to do all this too. It's that they're trying oh, to no, do Oh, no, they it. would. And we'll get into oh, that too. Right, if you're okay. going to come after them, they'll go after you. Okay, so then like, don't be worried about putting this podcast out into the world. <laughs> yeah, like I gotta go. <laughs> Look, all of my information comes from people that are already being fair gamed. So mm. <laughs> from the brave okay. souls who step out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I would I, like to. Uh, I have definitely okay. thought about this several times. Disclaimer the Church of Scientology says that none of this is true and they were not available for comment. <laughs> you think that's enough? <laughs> I would also like to, for the record, to change my name. <laughs> Smith is Smith, reporting live. <laughs> Smith, no. 
Okay. So yeah, that's really the whole purpose of fair game to just intimidate people into silence. In 1966, Hubbard decided he needed to create an organization within Scientology whose sole responsibility would be to carry out fair game. And so he created the Guardian's office. They are a worldwide spy network tasked with keeping Hubbard informed about any threats to Scientology before they materialized. He abolished both the Guardian's office and the fair game policy because of bad press, but it was just replaced by the Office of Special Affairs or OSA. They are the same thing. And fair game is absolutely still happening today. In fact, this is actually what the memo said that canceled fair game in 1968. And this is interesting. The practice of declaring people fair game will cease. Fair game may not appear on any ethics order it causes bad public relations. Mm. This policy letter does not cancel any policy on the treatment of handling of an SP. <laughs> so it's this is us <laughs> covering our asses. Yeah, this is yeah. us saying you can't call it fair game anymore, but we're still going to do it. And we're just not going to put it in writing. Yeah, and we're going to deny if asked about it, but Right. It's a go. (laughs) And we're going to show this memo. Look, we canceled it. (laughs) So back to your question of why do people need to be silenced in the first place? Like what stories could they possibly have to tell that Scientology would be so invested in keeping secret? Scientology, especially the Sea Org, is riddled with horrible stories of human trafficking, child abuse, forced abortions, physical, mental, and emotional abuse, separating families, and bankrupting people. Scientology and the aftermath on A&E is a really great place to start if you're interested in personal stories of how people have been harmed by Scientology, but it's just story after story after story. And Are you going to be harmed by Scientology? Me? Or me? No. <laughs> we will be fine. You can't talk fair game without talking about a journalist named Paulette Cooper, who has been referred to as the OG of fair game. Paulette Cooper was a Holocaust survivor whose parents were both killed in Auschwitz. She and her sister were taken by Nazis and were meant to have the same fate as their parents, but a friend of their families bribed Nazis to release Paulette and her sister to them. The sisters spent some time in an orphanage before Sarah was adopted by their aunt and Paulette by a Jewish couple, the Coopers, in New York. Uh, Big ups to Paulette. Yeah. At 26, Paulette was a budding journalist with her eyes peeled for her next big story, which came to her one day in 1968. An old boyfriend of Paulette's named Bill called out of the blue saying he had some amazing information to share with her. He shows up with a flower pot in one hand and tells her he, he's come to the realization that he is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Don't do it, Paulette. <laughs> no, no. He told her he came to this realization after joining Scientology. Oh, Paulette Ron. was in... <laughs> Paulette was intrigued, not because she thought he actually was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, but because she thought this might be the story she'd been waiting for. She'd heard of Scientology. It was actually pretty popular in New York at that time, turning into something of a fad. So she decided to look into it. So she signed up for an introductory course called Success Through Communications held at the Hotel Martinique on Broadway. And she signed up under the name Paula Madison. I've heard- many stories of success through communications. It seems to be 
a course that most people refer to in their memoirs when they're writing about their experiences in Scientology because it's intense, I guess might be the word for it. The course's aim is to help you communicate with anyone at any time to be able to look people in the eye, even if you're really uncomfortable in the situation. And he doesn't need that. I know. I know. Like they really do. I do feel like people that have left Scientology, they don't have education, especially if they are raised in the church because they don't go to school. They go to Scientology school and it's not the same. And they've never had a job and they probably don't have a driver's license and they don't have anything to put on their resume except executive in cult, you know? So, but they, they really do have a lot of great skills like communication because of all of this training. So the last exercise of this course is called bull baiting. And like I said, I've read several different people's account of bull baiting because it's crazy. This is an exercise where you partner with a Scientologist coach who basically tries to find the right button to push to bait you into reacting. The goal is to be able to get through it all without reacting, and they will go as far as they need to get you to react. In Paulette's case, that meant standing there while some gross man described every sexual thing he wanted to do to her. But there have also been stories of coaches grabbing genitals and molesting people to get them to react. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if you react, you have to start all over. So. Uh, No. uh, Yeah. But at the end of it, I mean, you can look someone in the eye. You can have them say anything to you and you can keep a straight face. I need that for some of these meetings I have to be in at work. I cannot fix my face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Zoom makes it worse. Yeah. It really does. We'll turn that camera off. That's what I do. (laughs) Paulette started researching Scientology more and more, looking into Hubbard's family history, getting her hands on documents from FBI raids. As she researched, more and more journalists started looking into Scientology, and it was becoming a pretty popular topic in magazines. By the time Paulette finished her first article, Scientology was already gaining a reputation for being extremely litigious, sending lawsuits after any publication that printed about them. So magazines started becoming really wary of printing. Eventually, one of the most popular magazines in the UK, Queen, agreed to print Paulette's article that they titled The Tragic Farce of Scientology, making a note at the bottom of the article that it was an excerpt from Paulette's later book that would be titled The Scandal of Scientology. They're coming for Paulette. I already know. Yep. This was when Paulette became the next target of Scientology's fair game policy, and it would nearly destroy her life. A few months before the scandal of Scientology is set to be published, the Guardian's office is in a tizzy. They decided to collect information on her so she could be handled. So they start spying on Paulette, learning of all her upcoming plans. Then they came up with Operation Daniel, where the Guardian's office was ordered to, quote, attack her in as many ways as possible and undertake wide-scale exposure of PC's sex life. More on that to come. PC being... Paulette Cooper. They sent letters to the publisher threatening to sue if they printed the book. They find Paulette on vacation in Scotland and serve her papers saying they're suing her. And that turned out to be a hoax, though she would later be sued a lot, actually. So you got, you got found on campus. (laughs) They found her in Scotland. (laughs) Yeah. They know Uh, no bounds. No, can't get far enough away. 
The book came out in June of 1971, and it was a 22-chapter attack on Scientology, warning people of Scientology's potential for harm. She found all copies at a library had turned up missing, and libraries around the country started keeping the book behind the shelf. So that you had to, like, ask to get it? Yeah, only letting someone read it on the premises in sight of staff because of all the copies that had been stolen by Scientologists. But this was also the 70s. Yeah, I when you keep I keep forgetting until you say the year, like the timestamp of something happening that I kind of thought Scientology was newer. Well, it started in the like, 50s, so it's only been around 70 years. Right, but I mean the only association I have with it is Tom Cruise. I know that he's older, but I was thinking, oh, like the 80s. Like I feel like it became mm. a thing in the 80s. But. Yeah. No. I had no idea it went to the 50s even. Really? Well, it, and it really didn't get big until the mm-hmm. 70s, so you're only like 10 years off there. Yeah. Yeah. It is oh, pretty old. new in terms of a religion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In spite of all that, the book did very well. Three days after it was published, Paulette was served papers, real ones this time, saying she was being sued for libel for her article in Queen magazine. Later in December of that year, Scientology sued her again for $1.5 million in damages for the book for, quote, untrue, libelous, and defamatory statements about the church. They started doing some really crude and ridiculous pranks with people calling her at all hours. She received call after call after call, each one more obscene than the last. Some were really stupid, like a guy impersonating President Nixon. Others were sexual. (laughs) I know. Others were sexual and others were death threats. They started having her followed and she discovered her phone lines had been tapped and she got pissed. Then Scientology sued her again. This time is one of 18 others being sued over a book by another author. Scientology claimed Paulette had convinced the author, Robert Kaufman, to write the book, even though they hadn't met until after he'd written it. When all was said and done, the church would end up suing Paulette 19 times in courts. 19 times. 19 times in courts all over the world. And she would have to spend years traveling all over to fight each one of them. Couldn't she just be like, nah, I'm good. I'm like, (laughs) I'll show up. Well, I guess if she wanted to pay millions of dollars. God. The harassment continues with Scientology having Paulette followed. They went after her family and tried to get her father in trouble with the IRS. They started putting out magazine ads with her face put on naked women. They sent a newsletter to various places around town saying that Paulette had started out writing porn and worked as a part-time sex worker. Just plot after plot to try and intimidate her. But Paulette wasn't getting intimidated. Not yet. She was getting mad. It was becoming really difficult for her to find employment because of all the time she had to spend fighting these lawsuits. She's not reacting. She had that training. (laughs) She did. Yeah, she took that course. Success through communications. But the worst was still to come. Paulette moved into her dream apartment at the Churchill, but her cousin Joy was still living at her old apartment. A week after Paulette moved out, a member of the guardian's office came by under the guise of a flower delivery. When she let the delivery man in, he pulled a gun out of the flowers (gasps) and held it to her head. The sister's head? The cousin, uh Joy. Sorry, Joy. Paulette is still not sure if the gun misfired or if it was empty, but Joy started screaming and the men ran off. They were certain that it was Scientology. Then the Guardian's Office of Scientology decides to send some plants into Paulette's new building. 
They went by the names Paula Taylor and Jerry, no last name Jerry. I don't know his last name. It's not his real name anyway. Oh, plants. Like these people are plants. Yes. Not like actual plants. Bringing plants into like they were like delivery. (laughs) No, I, you know what? I was worried about that and I was going (laughs) to change it because I just talked about the flower delivery and I was like, is she going (laughs) to think I'm, yeah, I was like, okay, more plants. God, like they're planting people. No, they didn't name their ficus Paula Taylor and Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) My azaleas, Rachel. Okay, we did have what was that? We had a plant in college that we named Delilah, and it lived in the corner, and then it got spiders. So Delilah, had I don't to know. Die. I was too busy sneaking a duck into my dorm room like an idiot. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Paula and Paulette became fast friends, and Paula became someone Paulette could confide in, not knowing that Paula was secretly spying for the church. Then the church went full psycho with an operation known as Operation Dynamite. They sent bomb threats to themselves and called the FBI, telling them they had one suspect in mind of who would do such a thing, Paulette Cooper. So you might be thinking, surely the FBI was like, oh, okay, yeah, and that was that. Unfortunately not. Scientologists had managed to get a fingerprint off Paulette and planted it on one of the letters. She thinks they might have gotten the fingerprint when she signed a petition from this girl who had introduced her to Paula Taylor, and then she'd never seen her again after she signed that petition. They also managed to get the letters typed on Paulette's own typewriter, something the FBI quickly discovered. Paulette- Like they broke in and typed them, I'm sure. Yeah, they either broke in and typed them, or she had actually worked on a book with L. Ron Hubbard's son, who had claimed to be- estranged from his dad but then he went back to the church soon after working with paulette and so she thinks he might have done it or paula taylor or jerry might have gotten into her apartment and typed them either way paulette was screwed after being indicted by a grand jury paulette started to spiral scientology had finally managed to get to her some of the she's indicted yeah Uh uh-huh indicted by a grand jury because of the fingerprint and because of the typewriter evidence but that's, mm-hmm. I know. God, you get me so angry at these. I know. 
She was charged with sending the bomb threats as well as an added charge of perjury since she'd said she didn't do it on the stand at the grand jury but trial. But she didn't do it. I know. <laughs> Some of the only people that she could trust were Paula and Jerry, and they became her closest confidants. Unfortunate, considering they were both spies for Scientology. She became- yes, Paula even really her friend? No, she was a spy for Scientology. I know, but- <laughs> No, she was reporting back every day on what Paulette was doing and thinking and wearing. She became, Paulette became so depressed that she spent all her time in a bathrobe, subsisting on nothing but vodka and cigarettes. She oh, is that even... a sign of depression? <laughs> My bad. Uh, are you, girl, are you okay? <laughs> I mean, it's quarantine. I know we were wearing gloves. <laughs> we were all depressed. We all needed help. She couldn't even manage to leave for the funeral of a close friend. She was so afraid and just saw her entire world crashing around her. As soon as word of her impending trial got out, no one was going to want to hire her ever again. Who would hire a journalist charged with bombing their own subject or attempting to bomb their own subject? Luckily, the Watergate trials were going on at this time, and we were still a few years out from a 24-hour news cycle, so the news of Paulette's indictment hadn't broken yet but she knew it was just a matter of time. She decided that if it actually went to trial, she was going to kill herself. And she even started saving up pills to do it. She started to wonder if she shouldn't kill herself before then. She just couldn't see a way out of the situation. Sweet Paulette. I know. Jerry. It's fault. I know. And she's, I know, it is. Like, where did he Damn go? Damn it, Bill. Bill? Well, and she's such a badass. Like there was this story that I had included and then I cut because of time, but I'm going to tell it to you and maybe I'll keep it in about one of her early articles was she, she had gone on so many cruises throughout her life. Like her and her family, they would go on cruises all the time, always cruising it up. And she decided that she was going to stow away on a cruise ship and write an article about it. So she stowed away. She snuck onto a cruise ship and managed to stay hidden for seven days because she realized that people's mistake, the people that get caught is because they're trying to hide. So Paulette made herself very out in the open. She would go and spend time at the bar. She would be in the casino. She would kind of go all over the place. And then she would pretend to be so drunk that she'd just pass out in the lounge chairs on deck. Right. And so nobody ever realized that she didn't have a cabin and she got into some sticky situations with these like creepy men that realized she was traveling alone and she's like really tiny and pretty. And so they would uh, offer to like walk her back to her cabin and she would have to try to like shake them off, you know, but she managed to get through the whole seven days and not get caught. And she ended up writing an article about it. That's like, that's cool. I know that's the kind of person she is. And now we got freaking Paula and Jerry here ruining her life. I bet they bonded over their names being the same. Like, oh my gosh, I'm they Paula. Did. I know. Because actually yeah. Paulette's real name is Paula, but she was so tiny as a child and she still is super tiny. She's like 4'11 and like 100 pounds that it's people like when she was little called her Paulette. And so the name just stuck. I know. Oh, that's cute. It's so cute. So Jerry offered to move in with her to help her take care of things around her apartment because she just couldn't. She was struggling to even take care of her dog, so she agreed, thinking it would be for the best. Jerry was the church's most senior spy, and he was reporting back to Scientology every day with updates on Paulette's state of mind, what she was doing, and what she was wearing to make it easier to follow her. 
a few times, he invited her up to the roof. I felt like I heard somebody breaking into my house, but I probably didn't. <laughs> probably just Jerry. Probably just Jerry. Oh my God, he's already knows. He already yeah, knows. Great. I told you I'm out on this. <laughs> a few times he invited her up to the roof. Her building had this amazing view of the Empire State Building and the World Trade Center. And he said the fresh air would do her good. So she would go up with him and he would climb up on the ledge, encouraging her to join him to get a better view. He'd try to persuade her by saying, if you don't have the guts to do this small thing, how are you going to have the courage to face those bastards in court? But Paulette was too scared to get up on the ledge. Five years later, she found correspondence from Jerry to the church stating that the best thing that could happen to Scientology would be if Paulette killed herself. She says she knows all it would have taken would have been a slight nudge from Jerry and she'd have fallen off the roof and everyone would have believed that she jumped considering her mental state at the time. So why didn't he push her? She wouldn't get up on the ledge. Right. But like, she's like four eleven. I guess he didn't because, because I guess like if you throw somebody off, you can kind of tell if they've been thrown off versus jumping. Sure. Cause right. I kind of thought about that. Like, why wouldn't he just kill her? I don't think he really wanted to like murder Either her, one you know, they're not like yeah. murder, but I think a little tap, yeah. you know, would strong have been breeze come through. Right, exactly. At a point, it seems it seemed the harassment had died down until a neighbor friend of hers came to show her a letter that had been delivered to every door in her building. Remember, she just moved into her dream apartment. Remember Operation Daniel, the mission to attack her in as many ways as possible and undertake wide-scale exposure of her sex life? I do remember because I feel like maybe the lions would be involved. I thought that's where that was going. <laughs> You and your Christian imagery. No, you brought up the lion's <laughs> den in the Holocaust ones. So I just, I don't know. Okay, so the letter said that was sent to every single neighbor of her apartment. Dear fellow tenant, there is a woman of very bad character who has recently taken residence in our building. Mr. Fredrickson, our manager, has permitted this. Perhaps Mr. Fredrickson did not know of her past history, but I do. She has recently been forced to move out of two apartments for illicit parties and sexual perversions. As a matter of fact, her last excursion to Europe proved quite embarrassing as she was caught by officials trying to sexually abuse a two-year-old baby girl. I am appalled that such a degenerate be permitted to live and work among decent people such as ourselves. It's true that we're not perfect, but this 30-year-old sick child is an example of what the scum of this society is capable of. You don't have to take my word for it. It's easy to see for yourself. She's 30 years old with the build of a 10-year-old child. Her nose is very large and not unlike that of a Halloween witch. I mean, low dig, dude. Yeah, and also like, that's not her fault. I know, exactly. Her tongue is noticeably swollen from an attack of venereal disease in the past. She is oh, a tenant ooh. in apartment 3H. Her name is Miss Paulette Cooper. I ask you to please contact Mr. Fredrickson and help me to have this woman removed from our residence and if possible, put under appropriate psychiatric care. A concerned neighbor. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Apartment. All of your neighbors get that letter? And no, I like, just met my new neighbor this evening. Like just this evening. What if you had gotten a letter before you met them that said that they had done all yeah. of that? <laughs> I've been like, stick out your tongue. Stick out your tongue. 
It's a good idea. And, you know, it, it was true that she had an unusual tongue, but that was because of a birth defect, not, you know, an STI. Paulette knew it was Scientology that sent the letter, but her new neighbors didn't. Right. And I'm sure she's, she sounds pretty defeated. I don't think she's like going right. around and, right. You know. Eventually, Paulette and her lawyers were able to come up with enough information on Scientology to show the state that their case against her with the bomb threats wouldn't be as cut and dried as they hoped. So they were able to show, like, look at all the sketchy stuff that they do. We're going to bring all of this out. And so they ended up kind of dropping the charges against her, but the fear was there for years that they could rearrest her any day for them. Meanwhile... The Guardian's office had decided the government was now an enemy of the church because there had been a few raids. The IRS was claiming they owed millions in back taxes because L. Ron Hubbard was convinced they should be tax exempt and he refused to pay taxes. So Scientology did what they do to enemies of the church and targeted the government for fair game. Mm -hmm. The Guardian's office of Scientology came up with Operation Snow White. This was a plan to infiltrate every government office possible and then some. They I put, don't really understand their operation names. I, I'm not <laughs> loving any of these. Well, I think Operation Dynamite is obvious. And then yeah, they had another What was one. Daniel? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I don't know where that comes from. See, I thought there'd be lions. And now what is this? <laughs> no, no lions. Is this about cocaine? There actually was a reason why they called it Snow White, and it has to do with an no, like a metaphor for the seven dwarves scattering. I don't even remember. So the Guardian's Office of Scientology came up with Operation Snow White, a plan to infiltrate every government office possible and then some. They put spies into the IRS, the Department of Justice, the DEA the Coast Guard Intelligence Service, Senator's Offices, the Better Business Bureau, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Medical Association, the post, the Postal Inspection Offices. I mean, literally everywhere. Oh, that's more than seven, though. I they know. They really suck at code names. <laughs> they had up to 5,000 covert agents trying to get rid of any records that would make Scientology or L. Ron Hubbard look bad. I believe it is still to this day the largest infiltration of the U.S. government ever. They even managed to infiltrate Interpol. What? The Wait. International Police. I know what that is. <laughs> I was a criminal justice major for two years. Yeah. <laughs> so they were caught when a couple Scientologists, Michael Meisner and Gerald Wolf, snuck into the U.S. Attorney General's office and used the copy machine. Wolf was arrested, and the judge also issued an arrest warrant for Meisner, but Scientology had managed to sneak Meisner into hiding, keeping him in safe houses for almost a year until Meisner started to get, like, real bored of hiding and wanted to just come clean and move on with his life, and Scientology was like, no, bitch, but yeah. Meisner managed to escape. And then Scientology kidnapped him, like, for real, grabbed him, threw him in a van, put a tennis ball in his mouth, handcuffed him, and then put him back into hiding. Oh, that's hazing. Meisner finally manages to escape Scientology and calls the FBI. He told them everything, which gave the FBI the cause they needed for the raid on the Church of Scientology. They raided the locations in LA, Hollywood, and DC, and they uncovered so much illegal activity, including documentation backing up Meisner's story of Operation Snow White, as well 
as Operation Daniel and Operation Dynamite, vindicating Paulette Cooper once and for all. Finally, I do have a question. Yeah. Do you think right now, if I asked you to call the FBI, you could pick up your phone and you would know what what to call? Who's just got a direct line to the FBI? Like, how do you just call the FBI? Oh, you can do it right now. Phone number to the the FBI. FBI. 713-693-5000. Let it 713-693-5000. <laughs> yeah, does have a 713 number. Yes, they do. Okay. You can also contact them at 202-324-3000. Thanks for putting it out there. But that's on their FBI.gov. Contact us. Um, right, well, you might want to save that to your contacts after this. <laughs> well, you can just call 911 if it's an emergency. But if you see something... You say something, say something to the FBI. <laughs> if they had not found that documentation in those raids, Paulette would have continued to live the rest of her life under a cloud of suspicion. People would have always thought that she did it. They also discovered Operation Freakout, an operation that was planned but never happened, where the goal was to have Paulette committed to a mental institution. The That's goal what's was to me right now. I'm operating. Freak out right now. <laughs> same, same. Try teaching during a pandemic. Ugh. It's like <laughs> I'm Operation Freakout <laughs> every day. <laughs> Operation Freakout was to be as follows: first, a woman was to imitate Paulette Cooper's voice and make telephone threats to Arab consulates in New York City. Second, a threatening letter was to be mailed to an Arab consulate in such a fashion that it would appear to have been done by Paulette Cooper. Third, a Scientologist volunteer was to impersonate Paulette Cooper at a laundromat and threaten the current president, Gerald Ford, and the secretary of state, Henry Kissinger. A second Scientologist would thereafter inform the FBI of the threat. At a laundromat. I know. It took me a while to realize that they weren't expecting the president and the secretary of state to be at the laundromat. (laughs) That's what I thought was happening. (laughs) I guess she's just like saying her threats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm going to kill that President Gerald Ford. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or whatever. That was <laughs> they, they also planned for a Scientologist to warn an Arab consulate by telephone that Paulette Cooper had been talking about bombing it. The last part of the plan was basically a rerun of Operation Dynamite, requiring Scientologists to obtain Paulette Cooper's fingerprints on a blank piece of paper, type a threatening letter to Kissinger on that paper, and mail it. Here's a quote from the Guardian's office memo. This additional channel should really put her away. The FBI already thinks she did the bomb threats on the Church of Scientology. Way to write it down. You know Mm. what that makes me think of is like at the end of a movie or TV show when they're like, bad guy has the, you know, hero Mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm going to tell you all the ways I got you here. And then, (laughs) well, here's the thing. There's policy that you have to write everything down. They have everything written down. Like they have files full of incriminating documents because they have to write everything down. Like everything. I think that policy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There are several policies that they should rethink like that L. Ron Hubbard said the only way to make coffee copies was with a mimeograph. They also found, I mean, just tons and tons of operations. There was Operation Normandy, which was their plan to take over the city of Clearwater, Florida, which they have now done, by the way. Like they've Wait, taken over really? that town. Yes. Yes. That seems concerning. Yes. 
part of which uh, consisted of framing the mayor of Clearwater on hit and run charges. And again, that's just scratching the surface on all the operations uncovered in this raid. Some of them had been carried out like Daniel and Dynamite, but others were plans in the making. And I why think- Why do we, they want to do these things? Like, why do they care about Clearwater? That's where their international headquarters are, is in Clearwater. And they basically started buying up all this property, all this real estate in Clearwater. And Clearwater is a beautiful town. It's like in Florida, on the water, really quaint, pretty place. It has clear water. It has clear water, like much of Florida. And they really wanted to take it over. So this guy, I'm not really going to get into this story, but there's this guy that's so against Scientology that he joined the city council, just approved a Scientology that they couldn't stop him from getting elected. And then has like really worked to try to make sure that they don't get everything that they want but in turn Scientology has made his life a freaking living hell so in the end after Operation Snow White 11 high-ranking members of Scientology were indicted on 28 charges these members included L. Ron Hubbard's wife Mary Sue but Hubbard himself remained an unindicted co-conspirator Mary Sue I know it was his idea but nobody would say Mary Sue goes down Come Mary on, Sue was sentenced to five years in prison, and all of them claimed L. Ron Hubbard had no idea about any of it, when in actuality, it had been his idea in the first place. Never letting a man take me down. No. No. Oh, my God. I heard the best thing on TikTok. Go they said, now. when a guy asks you if you're mad, you just say, I'm not mad. I'm just less interested. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so Paulette didn't know about any of this. She didn't know about the raid. She didn't know about Operation Snow White. She didn't know about any of it. Until one day in 1977, she picked up a copy of the Washington Post and saw an article about the raid. She was so relieved that the truth was finally out that she just started crying. And then Scientology sued her for the Washington Post article that she had nothing to do with because they have zero chill. Zero. Why? How did they even do that? Like she. The goal of a lawsuit is not to win, but to harass. So (laughs) even after the raid, they continued suing her all through the seventies and eighties. Like I said, 19 lawsuits total. Paulette became time for that. Well, and that's the thing. Nobody has time for that, but Scientology has all the time and all the money in the world. And all the lawyers or what? Yeah. All the money for all the lawyers. Tax free money. And we'll get into that in a bit. Even after the raid, they continued suing her all through the seventies and eighties. So 19 lawsuits total. Paulette became so exhausted by it all that she ended up just agreeing to give them the copyright to her book, the scandal of Scientology. And in return, they dropped all 19 lawsuits. So I would have done that a long time ago. I mean, same. I'm also Um, a baby back bitch. So (laughs) So that's probably the most talked about story of Fair Game with the most details available. Because as I said, the book, The Unbreakable Miss Lovely by Tony Ortega and Paulette Cooper is a great resource if you want to know more about Paulette and what happened to her. But she's like continuing to speak out. Like she's still kicking. She was on Leah Remini's Fair Game podcast that she does, which I highly encourage people to check out because I love it. And yeah, like I said, you know, this happened in the 70s and 80s, but they are definitely still fair gaming people today they stake out people's houses they actually so leah remini does her show with this guy mike rinder and mike rinder was the head of osa the office of special affairs the office that 
carries out fair game. He was the head of it. And he left the church about like 14 years ago or something, 12 years ago. And he's been speaking out and him and Leah Remini did this show together and they do this podcast together. And he talks about how they actually like purchased the house next door to his and put this PI in this house who befriended Mike and his family and the PI's kid befriended their kid. And she even came to Mike's wife's baby shower, just really infiltrated their entire lives, just like they did Paula Taylor and Jerry yeah. to Paulette. You know, it's the I same just don't thing know why they're they, still doing. Yeah. Why they care. So, I mean, like, I get that they want to make these people miserable, but I don't know what they're gaining. The so it's like a lot of resources. And then these, well, they have unlimited like, resources. They have unlimited resources and we'll get into why. What makes one come to their senses and be like, Oh, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Does um, he talk about that? Yes. Mm. He'll be on our next episode. So it's yeah. Mike Rinder next episode. Mike, if you're <laughs> out there, if you're listening, <laughs> love to have you on. <laughs> Oh, you asked me, why do people leave? So a lot of people leave now, um, mainly because the head of the church, the new head of the church, David Miscavige, is such a psycho. And so our entire next episode, or most of it, is going to be devoted to David Miscavige and Scientology. You mean, him. He's such a creeper. He's a such a creeper. There you go. Bringing it around. Creep. He is a creep. So all of this that they're doing, all of these lawyers, so how are they able to do this? How do they have all the time? All of this is done. They're paying for these lawyers to sue people for the sole purpose of harassment. They're paying PIs to follow people for years. They're setting up surveillance equipment everywhere, illegally, all with tax-free money. Tax-free weekend. No, all the time. Uh tax-free all the time <laughs> not just on the weekend <laughs> not just when you gotta go school clothes shopping <laughs> and honestly this is something the irs needs to answer for so irs if you're listening explain yourself religions in the u.s are tax exempt because they contribute to society in meaningful ways and they're not for profit scientology doesn't do either of those things they claim they contribute to society with like drug outreach programs and things like that, but it's all a farce. Originally, the IRS recognized that Scientology operates more like a business than a religion and refused to give them tax exemption. They sell goods and services for money, and they currently have over a billion dollars in assets. You one have to billion dollars. Oh, one billion dollars. You have to pay outrageous amounts for the courses, the books, the auditing. And like I said, if you make it all the way up the bridge, that's half a million dollars or so per person. In the 60s, the IRS actually went after them, like tried to take them down and tried to collect on the yeah. billion dollars of back taxes they said they owed. And this fight went on for 25 years. In fact, Hubbard ended up having to go into hiding for it. That's why he formed the Sea Org, actually, because originally the Sea Org was on a boat. Oh, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, well, and he had a past in the Navy. So he really yeah. structured Scientology based after his Navy. They wore Navy-like uniforms, the whole thing. But then in 1986, Hubbard died. And when he died, he made it clear in his will that any proceeds of his work could only go to a tax-exempt organization. Why he did this when Scientology wasn't tax-exempt, I don't know. But enter the current leader of the church, David Miscavige, who is definitely a sociopath. 
schemed his way into that position. And like I said, the next episode is going to be Miscavige heavy because he fascinates me. So Miscavige realizes that the only way the church can continue is if they achieve tax exempt status because of this will of Hubbard's, but also because of this billion dollar bill, which they can't afford. So what does any good Scientologist do when they're up against an enemy? They fair game the shit out of them. There you go. (laughs) David Miscavige understands that Scientology cannot win against the IRS. They're too big, too powerful. Actually, I beg to differ. I haven't gotten a response from them on some of the stuff (laughs) I've been sending in. And when you try and call, you get like a dead fax number. So have at it because they're not responding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you'll get some ideas on how to get them to respond from what- fair game the IRS. (laughs) (laughs) They tried to go up against them many times and they'd lost and they're running out of time. So he couldn't fair game the entire IRS, but the IRS is made up of people and individually those people can be fair gamed. So he enacts his plan. Operation suck it IRS. Wait, for real? No, that's not actually the name, but I didn't look it up. So So here we are. I was like, they finally got one right. (laughs) What's the name of it? I don't know. I didn't look it up. We'll just go with that. (laughs) He hires private investigators to follow IRS officials and dig up dirt, conduct surveillance, and uncover vulnerabilities. They were looking for literally anything, even housing code violations. They also paid a group of IRS whistleblowers to attack the agency publicly They were able to keep that organization removed enough from Scientology to maintain their credibility, and it actually did a lot of damage to the IRS. Really? Yeah. And then Scientology started getting real, because they know the real purpose of a lawsuit is to harass. Is to harass. So they spammed the IRS with so much litigation, its head was spinning. We're talking around 2,500 lawsuits. 200 against the agency and against individual members of the IRS from Scientology. And then they got over 2,000 Scientologists to sue the IRS to demand they get tax deductions for their contributions to the church. All these lawsuits were total bullshit, but the goal wasn't to win the lawsuits. Scientology could care less if its parishioners just get- to overwhelm them. But that exactly. Means- They do not care if the parishioners get a tax deduction. The goal was, yeah, to tie up the IRS's legal department and to gain leverage to aid in negotiations with the IRS. So just like they got Paulette to sign over the rights to her book by agreeing to drop the lawsuits, they knew they could get their way here with similar tactics. In the end, by agreeing to pay $12.5 million and dropping all their lawsuits, Scientology got their tax-exempt status, which they maintain to this day along with probably the most impressive real estate portfolio you've ever seen because religious organizations aren't supposed to hoard money. So Scientology has all their money tied up in all this real estate all over the world, which is why they opened the Columbus org. Ask your friends in Columbus to drive by there and see if there's actually any people in the building, because I'll bet you that there aren't because they buy all these buildings, they set up all these orgs, but they're for nothing. They're just to hide money. 
I think the sign says Church of Scientology. So like, could you yeah. just walk in there? It is the Church of Scientology. Right. You can know, just like, walk in, but they'll look at you like, what are you doing here? Because they don't actually want people to join anymore. Like that's not, yeah. they're telling all of their parishioners and all of their Scientologists that there's millions and millions of Scientologists worldwide, but the number is more like 120,000. Like there's not very many people left in the church. So and your waiting list? They like it that way. David Miscavige likes it that way. He doesn't want it to grow because then you just have more people coming in and seeing all the dirt that they have. And so um, he just gets to be rich and hang out with Tom Cruise. Is he still a Scientologist? Yeah. Oh, and he's a huge Scientologist. He promotes Scientology constantly. He does promotional videos for them. He talks all the time about how great it is. Yeah, he's a jackass. (laughs) (laughs) Don't like him. Tell me how you really feel. Yeah. Even Hubbard's science fiction novels are considered religious texts. So the sale of them is completely tax exempt. Oh my word. Mm -hmm. So all those books that they're selling, tax free. So with their tax free money, they can afford the best lawyers to sue people or to protect themselves against lawsuits because other people have tried to sue them for like the things like, you know, being trafficked or yeah. abused or mental anguish. And but how's science- the government not just like taking these people down and said like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Government. Please, government, will you come and answer for your crimes? Will you come and answer? <laughs> answer for yourself. Why because- is Scientology still doing all of this when everybody is telling you they're doing this? Why haven't uh, you'll be waiting? Why haven't you investigated? Hmm? Worried about being fair gamed? That's why. Also, fun fact, they got one of the business loans during COVID. So that's awesome. They have a billion dollars and they're not a business. They're a religion. (laughs) So they needed that money. Yeah. It's like they're getting the best. Yeah. Ah! What do they believe? I guess. Like what is their... Like, so like what is their like system of beliefs? It's not like a Christianity type thing, right? Like, no. Like, is there a God, Jesus? Like, okay. So here's, here's the thing. Okay. So we talked about the bridge to total freedom where you take these yeah. courses and you go through auditing because you're trying to rid yourself of these engrams yeah. and you're trying to become an operating Thetan. Okay. So that's kind of the basic mm-hmm. of their belief system is these Thetans. So you don't find this out though, until you get to OT three. So you get through all these courses, you achieve the state of clear, Mm -hmm. and then you have eight more OT levels as an operating Thetan. You don't find out until OT three about Xenu, the, the intergalactic warlord that lived on a planet that looked exactly like earth in the 1950s. Like exactly very the same. And this intergalactic warlord Xenu, does it sound like a science fiction novel? Yeah. Because <laughs> like it was written by confused. a science fiction author. So Xenu decided that he was going to round up all these people, all the people on his planet, and he was going to take them into a spaceship and drop them into volcanoes on Earth. And then millions of years later, their volcanoes exploded. And their Thetans came out of the volcanoes. And those Thetans went into the new babies that were being born on Earth. And so they were basically your soul. But sometimes 
a bunch of Thetans were looking for a place to go. And so they're all going into the same baby. So some people have many Thetans. So people find out that they are clear. And then three levels later, they find out they're infested with space aliens. (laughs) (laughs) This is nuts. So... With every episode, I want to lift up a charity that I believe does great work related to the topic of the episode. And so if you want to th- donate to the Church of Scientology. Yes, 100%. <laughs> they need the money. They had to get a business loan during COVID. They're clearly struggling. <laughs> Do not give them any money. But you could give your money to the Aftermath Foundation, which is, it exists to help those who want to leave Scientology and the C organization but lack a system of support they can rely on while getting on their feet in the world. Former Sea Org members tend to be industrious workers, but many have no employment history nor family outside of Scientology. Further, many have no formal education, bank account, driver's license, or credit history. The challenges one encounters when leaving Scientology and the Sea Org are many. The Aftermath Foundation is devoted to providing resources, support, and advocacy to those who leave so they can gain their independence and make their way in the world. The Aftermath Foundation is also dedicated to raising public awareness of the abusive practices of the Church of Scientology. So I have donated a small amount to this foundation, and if you'd like to do so as well, you can at theaftermathfoundation.org slash donate. The link will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll know exactly when our next episode drops, when I'll tell Mogab all about part two of our Scientology saga, this time focusing on the sociopath that runs the church, David Miscavige, and life in the cult under his rule. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at CreepersPod, and you can email us at CreepersPod at gmail.com. Please, please, please give us a rating. Give us a review on iTunes. It will really help us grow the podcast. And we'll see you next time. And don't be creepy.